Have you ever donated blood? Uh, no. No. Not me, own, no. Have I? Right, ever it? donated blood? No. No, no, no. <laughs> Have you? No. Um, no, and I do not yeah. want to. You don't want to? No. Why not? Uh, what? Precious, precious blood. Precious Have you ever blood. donated blood? No. no. Right, you do want that. Um, no, I haven't. No, I haven't. You are listening to the third episode in a four-part radio series, Blood, Life Uncut, by Science Gallery London part of King's College London. I'm Femi. And I'm Jessie. And today we're asking, how is contemporary science changing blood donation? And what's the future? We started our research by asking the public if they'd ever donated blood. We had very little success. And then... Oh yeah. You have? Yeah. In the UK? Yeah. It was too good to be... But not for a very long time. Ah. It's when the AIDS scare first started that I stopped doing it. Having established that the average person on the street isn't a blood donor, we resolved to find out more about the blood that is being donated. There is someone bleeding somewhere that urgently needs that blood, and I have to stop and do that. Operator, hi, my name is Richard, coming from portraying. Richard Busala is a porter at Guy's Hospital who oversees the transportation of blood. 10.13, please. Taking them out of the fridges in the labs where they are tested and stored, he and his team of 35 blood porters deliver red blood cells, platelets, cryo, plasma and abumin to the theatres and operating tables around the hospital. Crush blood means, for example, a patient is on operating table and is bleeding heavily in his blood. That's it, ready? Hello, Henry. How you doing? Doors opening. How many years have you been at this hospital now? Uh, hello. Eight years? Used to it now. I like it, actually. I hate joke when you have to be stuck behind a desk. So blood is a liquid tissue made up of platelets, white cells, plasma and red cells. These constituents have lots of different functions. But in the simplest terms, platelets and white cells are part of the body's immune system. Plasma carries hormones, nutrients and waste products around the body, making up about 55% of blood. And the red cells, which make up approximately 40% of blood, contain a protein called haemoglobin that transports oxygen around the body. In the UK, roughly 2.1 million blood transfusions happen per year. Units of whole blood, which contains all of the components of blood, are used during surgery and to treat accident victims. (laughs) You're like, you're kind of like the blood running through the veins of the hospital. The not corridors. me, no, I won't say that. I would say the porters are. The porters are. The porters are. Maybe you're the heart. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say, I can say that. The eyes or the brain, you know, maybe even direction. But the porters do most of the job, really. Red cell transfusions are used in surgery and to treat accident victims too, as they can increase the oxygen supply in the body. Red cells are also used as a treatment for anemia. As we could see from the contents of Richard's fridge, all of the components of blood are used for different therapies, but red cells are the component of blood that is most highly in demand. My name is Mark Turner. I'm Professor of Cellular Therapy at the University of Edinburgh. I'm a medical director of the Scottish National Blood Transfusion Service, and I lead a large multi-centred UK collaboration uh, looking at the possibility of generating red blood cells from stem cells. You need to remember that every unit of blood donated contains about 
um, two and a half million million red blood cells. That is two and a half trillion red blood cells. So manufacturing even a unit of blood is not a trivial undertaking. So we've moved from adult stem cells to looking at a different kind of stem cell. It's called an induced pluripotent stem cell. Ah, stem cells. Wait. What's a stem cell again? Stem cells are undifferentiated cells that are able to differentiate into specialised cell types and divide to create more cells. There are two main kinds, adult stem cells which are particularly found in tissues that replicate a lot like your bone marrow, which can actually produce around 2 million red blood cells in a day. And adult cells act kind of like a repair system for the body because they can differentiate into several different kinds of cells and they multiply really fast. For example, on your skin, that's another good place where you're constantly um, reproducing your cells. And then the other main kind of stem cell is an embryonic, or if you want the really fancy name, pluripotent stem cells. Good to know. Back to Mark. These cells can proliferate indefinitely in the laboratory. The science is very, very challenging in this space uh, because we have to find a way of directing the pluripotent cells to form red blood cells, um, but but not all the other kinds of cells in your body. We feel that we can do that. However, producing cells which are which are stable, red blood cells which are stable, is proving very, very difficult in, in the laboratory and has led us to have to go back and look at some of the basic science about how, how red blood cells normally form in the body because some of the things we collectively, internationally thought were true don't, don't seem to be true when you try to mimic that process in laboratories. Are you still with us? Hold on to your wigs. Things are getting complicated. Let's recap. Attempts to grow red cells from stem cells in the lab has brought up new questions about how this happens in the body. Translating that science into something that can be manufactured at what we call good manufacturing practice. So something can be manufactured in a way that has the quality and safety that's required for human use. That's also extremely challenging. Even if we can get all the science correct, that is still a very, very big task, particularly for a very complex uh, biological uh, process. And then finally, the scale of manufacture is is very, very significant. As I've already said, each unit of red blood cells is about two and a half trillion red cells. So to manufacture large amounts is is would be a very, very significant um, endeavour indeed. And then there's the issue of achieving this at a cost that's manageable. But if Never Sang were able to do this... That might help uh, people across large parts of the world who don't have access to regular blood supplies, regular safe blood supplies at the moment. Having said that, there are some groups of patients who need much more specific uh, donations. For example, patients who receive an awful lot of blood, maybe patients with uh, beta thalassemia, for example, or sickle cell disease, often get immunised to other people's red blood cells. And they need blood which is very, very, very highly specified to, to match their own uh, red cell uh, type. So they can be a particularly, cha- particularly challenging to find um, a compatible blood for. So there are different components of blood, like plasma and red cells, and there are also different blood types. You've probably heard of ABO blood types. Most people fit into these, and you might know about rhesus positive and negative. 
Most people are positive and some are negative. I'm O positive. Oh, really? However, not everyone fits into these categories. The blood groups are actually a very complex system made up of over 400 different kinds of red cell proteins and antigens. And if in the future Novasang can use pluripotent stem cells to artificially manufacture red cells, they can customise the blood supply so that there's an adequate supply of rare blood types. So in the first instance, I think, if, we, if this were to come to clinical application, uh, we, would, we would try to manufacture blood for those, for those specific people. What Novosang are attempting is still a way off in the future. There's another area of blood stem cell transfusion that is already happening. Cord blood stem cell transfusions are given to patients suffering from life-threatening blood conditions. What cord? Jesse, we are talking about the umbilical cord. So my name's Christine. Um, I'm the Anthony Nolan midwife at King's College Hospital. Anthony Nolan is a blood stem cell and bone marrow register that matches potential donors and blood cancer or blood disorder patients who are in need of life-saving transplants. I'm the midwife supervisor for a small team of dedicated cord blood collectors, so that's their official name. There are only four cord blood collection teams across the whole of the UK. When the baby's been born, the midwife and all the doctors will clamp and cut the cord. And at that point where it would normally go in the bin, that's where we step in. So what happens when the dedicated cord blood team have rescued the placenta? We do a bit of a bizarre thing with it, so we try and get gravity to work with us. So what we do, and it sounds a bit bizarre, is we hang our placentas up. We wait for that blood to drain out the placenta, and then we try and persuade every last bit out. So that involves probably what you describe as milking the cord, and then giving the placenta a really, really intense massage. So that placenta has the best time ever. <laughs> wait, why are they doing this again? Every single last bit of blood in there is very very precious because there are stem cells in that blood that hopefully can save people's lives. I hadn't heard of an umbilical cord blood transfusion before I met Christine Pearson but I had heard of bone marrow transplants for blood cancer patients. Cord blood transfusions are similar to bone marrow transplants. Both are stem cell transplants and involve destroying any unhealthy blood cells and replacing them with donated stem cells that can establish themselves and hopefully proliferate new healthy blood cells. The advantage of an umbilical cord transplant over a bone marrow transplant is that you don't need a perfect immune system match. And though both of these procedures are still very risky and don't always work out, current research is showing that recipients of cord blood transfusions have fewer immune system incompatibilities than those who receive bone marrow transplants. That's great. But for this procedure to work, you need a donor that's a very close genetic match preferably an identical twin. We are kind of transplanting an organ in that it is your immune system. That's really, really individual and it's completely uniquely tailored to you really. So what we're actually trying to match is DNA. Um, and to do that, you need to have a far greater level of matching than you would with normal blood. You've got around about a 60% um, chance in general. That's if your family aren't a good match. However, if you're from a black or minority ethnic background, that chance goes down to 20%. Your um, tissue type's actually really um, affected by your ethnicity um, just because of the way your DNA goes together. There's nothing to say that you could have a, a black person being a perfect match for a white person, but you never know. Um, and we do know that it is more likely um, to be linked to ethnicity. There's an urban legend that Walt Disney was cryogenically frozen at minus 190 degrees to be defrosted and brought back to life when the technology presented itself. 
this story isn't true. But NHS Blood and Transplant Service have been cryogenically freezing and banking cord blood since 1988. We keep defrosting them every now and then to see how they're doing and see whether or not they've started to deteriorate and they're still good. Being able to freeze donated cord blood and use it years down the line massively increases the likelihood of matching somebody in need of a transfusion with a donor. We've shipped units all over the world so far. Ones from Kings have been to Australia, America, Paris. We've had quite a few to Nottingham and Newcastle. It's ready to go. There's a lot of things that happen and we're not entirely sure why. So one collection, depending on how big it is, could be a one-off transfusion for a person. Or if it's a smaller one or if they're quite a large individual, you can give them a double transplant. And with a double transplant, you can... So immediately after you can see, you'll be able to see three different people's blood in one body. So you'll have the original person and then you'll have the two donated units. And then bizarrely, after a little while, you will only find two people. You'll find the original person and you'll find one of the units that they've had put in. One of them vanishes and we never, we don't actually know why. We're observing trends but we're not entirely sure exactly right like there's a there's another one we know that if we collect the blood from someone's second baby that transplant then has a 10% better chance of working so it's not the first baby the third the fourth or the fifth but that second baby there's something about that transplant that just works better and we don't know why controversial studies are also suggesting that cord blood can be used to treat diseases other than blood diseases This has led to private companies advertising that parents should cryogenically freeze their newborn baby's cord blood in case it is needed in later life. Though research is actively being undertaken in this area, other studies show that it's highly unlikely that this will be the case. However, clinicians strongly support the donation of cord blood to public cord banks. So if you're expecting... That was the third episode in a four-part radio series of Blood Life Uncut. If you have something to add to our conversation about the future of blood donation, we'd love to hear from you. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at SciGalleryLun. If you liked what you heard, there are more podcasts on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Blood Life Uncut. The exhibition and event programme with the same name is open now until the 1st of November. See you there. Find details at london.sciencegallery.com. Next week, we'll be listening to Bloodlines, a collection of spoken word poetry written and performed by Sabrina Mafuz, especially for the Science Gallery London Blood Season. Oh, and just in case you were wondering, we did manage to find one blood donor. Yes. Yes! We're in the UK? Yes. Amazing. When when was that? Uh, A few months ago, May, I think. Was it your first time? Yes, it was. Cool. How did you find it? Um, Not as intimidating as I thought it would be. This was brought to you by Science Gallery London, a new space where art and science collide, opening at London Bridge in 2018. We're a member of the Global Science Gallery Network and part of King's College London. Thanks for listening.